The Hannaford data breach. It's been more than three years since the incident. What's new? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today with Ronald Rather. He's an attorney and partner at Faruqi Ireland and Cox, LLP. Ron, thanks so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. To start out with, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your firm, and your workplace? Well, I've been involved in technology-related uh, litigation for uh, the past 15 years. So my training and experiences as a trial attorney, working uh, you know, from Y2K-related class actions all the way up to uh, privacy issues beginning in 2003, uh, where I dealt with uh, the Driver's Privacy Protection Act in a case called Russell v. Choice Point. Uh, in March 2005, I was able to be in the front line of uh, working with uh, companies and, and dealing with data breaches, a particularly notorious one in March 2005 that sort of created the uh, wave of interest in, in data breaches, both on the regulatory as well as the business side. I have uh, negotiated with the FTC and attorney generals on such issues, defended over 26 class actions. Uh, and also, you know, help companies be proactive in uh, dealing with data and privacy security issues. Well, Ron, it was early 2008 when Hannaford entered the news with its data breach that certainly uh, sparked lots of headlines that year and beyond. And the case has just come back into the news with a fresh court decision. What can you tell us about this decision? Well, the case is really interesting in that the uh, most recent step uh, in the back and forth between plaintiffs and defendants' counsel around the issue of standing and damages. Uh, people may or may not be familiar with Hannaford. It's a grocery store chain uh, out of the New York area where back in December 2007, uh, they revealed that there had been a breach of about 4.2 million credit and, and debit cards along with the security codes. Uh, included in that, there were about 1,800 complaints uh, where uh, Customers of Hannaford uh, complained that they had actually been victims of fraud. Uh, from that, there were 26 class actions filed across the country uh, that eventually were consolidated uh, through the multi-district litigation uh, procedural rules in the federal court in Maine. Initially, the uh, after uh, se several motions uh, were filed and, and an issue was certified to the to Maine Supreme Court, uh, the district court eventually did dismiss uh, the uh, MDL class actions uh, on the basis of uh, the absence of any cognizable injury or harm uh, by the named plaintiffs and the putative class. So what can you tell us about the significance of this latest decision, not just with Hannaford, but regarding data breaches in general and responsibility for these breaches? It's really the, the most recent step in the evolution of the pleading a struggle that's happened between the plaintiff's bar and, and the defense bar. Uh, early on in data breach uh, cases, uh, defendants uh, were filing motions to dismiss, arguing that the named plaintiffs lacked standing. Uh, Lujan, a decision out of the Supreme Court, requires uh, Article Three standing is available only if there's actual injury or an imminent threat of injury. And those early uh, cases, including the Key versus DSW decision, uh, found that uh, individuals who received uh, breach notices did not have a cognizable injury under Article 3. Uh, that case law uh, and plaintiff's complaints evolved uh, such that uh, they were able to overcome the Article 3 standing issue, but then courts looked uh, to the question of damages. 
was there anything pleaded within the complaint uh, that would justify the case to go forward uh, in terms of damages? And the Tri-West decision out of the Ninth Circuit and the Piscata decision out of the Seventh Circuit uh, were finding standing, but uh, they were uh, not finding a, an injury or, a da or damages that would allow the plaintiff's uh, claims to survive. Uh, what's interesting, uh, you know, with the exception of uh, where the uh, plaintiff had actual out-of-pocket uh, expenses, what's interesting with Hannaford is uh, that the court uh, sort of took the next uh, step uh, and found that the uh, case could continue to go forward uh, because the plaintiff uh, had uh, alleged uh, actual misuse as to other credit card hold holders. Uh, and so... Uh, those uh, plaintiffs which uh, actually hadn't been the victim of uh, identity theft, there couldn't be, there wasn't any proof that they had actually been the victim of identity theft, could nonetheless still uh, have a uh, cognizable claim because uh, there was a sufficient threat, an imminent uh, threat of injury, uh, because there had been those actual uh, 1,800 complaints of fraud uh, that the remaining, you know, four point, uh, almost two million people uh, could have a claim uh, because they could be threatened enough to feel like they had to take proactive measures and incur uh, out-of-pocket expenses. Well, as we said up front, Hanover is nearly four years old now. We've certainly seen a number of other breaches this year alone. In layman's terms for our business audience, how do you see this Hanover decision potentially impacting cases that arise from other more recent breaches that we've seen? I think in a couple of ways. Um, so from the plaintiff's bar perspective and the threat of class action litigation, uh, early on in the history of uh, data breach litigation, uh, defendants were fairly comfortable that they could have some success uh, on early motions to dismiss. I think the plaintiff's bar uh, have learned uh, from uh, these cases and ha are pleading better complaints, and so as a consequence, uh, the litigation uh, is likely uh, to be uh, more robust, uh, take longer to resolve. Uh, and so as a consequence, I think companies need to be uh, more, uh, take more care uh, in their data breach response plans uh, in terms of deciding who actually needs to be uh, provided notification. I think the trend uh, following, you know, the February, March 2005 uh, data breach uh, and the media and government reactions uh, to those incidents, uh, the consequence has been that companies have been uh, conservative. By that, I mean over-notifying uh, when there's a breach. I think Hannaford uh, provides the uh, wake-up call for companies to take a better look at what the law actually requires in terms of notices, um, tailoring those notices based on what's required by the law, uh, and in fact, sending uh, different forms of notices uh, depending on uh, what category a specific consumer might fall in in relation to the amount of risk that that consumer may face uh, from the uh, breach incident. Well, that's an interesting point I'd like to follow up on because it seems like there's a couple of messages here. There's one for merchants who might be suffering the breaches and certainly for financial institutions whose customers are going to be impacted by it. What do you see as the messages to these these two constituencies? Uh, you know, I think they need to be more thoughtful and thorough in their forensic analysis of the breach itself. Um, so making sure that they act quickly and early uh, to bring in the right third party uh, or internal resources to do a complete 
uh, and detailed uh, forensic analysis. Of course, they want to do that uh, under the protection of attorney-client privilege. Uh, but then once that's done, they need to take that data and really parse it up against the individual state uh, breach notice laws. Uh, you know, I've written an article on uh, this, this specific issue of, you know, when is breach actually required? And for the most part, uh, it is in instances in which there's uh, some evidence uh, or fear that the actual consumers are going to be victims of identity theft. And having been involved in a number of data breach responses, there really is a wide spectrum in terms of how much threat there is uh, to the consumers. But let's take Hannaford as an example for a moment. Uh, if in response to that breach, there had been one form of letter sent out to the 1800 complainants of actual fraud, uh, and obviously breach notice was required uh, with regard to those 1800, uh, but a different form of letter uh, was used for the remaining 4.2 million, or if the forensic evidence showed that there was even more diversity amongst that group of 4.2 million, uh, sending different forms of breach notice letters I th helps uh, in the defense against uh, class actions. It helps in uh, allowing regulators and others to understand uh, that the scope of the breach uh, and the severity of it uh, may vary considerably among each of those groups. And I think overall it puts the company in a better position uh, to uh, forge ahead and negotiate the trouble wa troubled waters to come after a data breach in terms of dealing with class actions, regulators, and even public relation issues. So, Ron, taking a step back from Hannaford, you've certainly been paying attention to litigation that other people haven't been seeing. What are some of the recent legal decisions that you see that organizations really should know more about in terms of breaches and preparing for them and responding to them? I, mean, I think in the past we've really been focused on the Federal Trade Commission uh, and the guidance that uh, that organization was providing to companies in terms of what uh, data security steps ought to be taken. Of course, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, will be providing guidance uh, to us uh, as that organization uh, comes into play. I think, however, uh, in the coming years and even in 2011, the real activity has been uh, in the attorney generals. Uh, I've seen an increase in staffing uh, within those organizations uh, in the uh, groups that deal with data breach uh, and information security. Uh, notably, uh, you're seeing, you know, you have a, a group of states that have uh, traditionally been strong in data breach, Massachusetts, uh, Maryland, uh, Illinois. Uh, those states have continu will continue to be actively involved. I've seen uh, a rise in uh, other states not traditionally been known to be active in this space. And so, for example, this past summer, the Indiana Attorney General entered into a settlement uh, with WellPoint, uh, a health insurance uh, organization in Indiana. And the important thing there was uh, the whole enforcement action came around the timing of the notice. Indiana complained uh, that WellPoint did not act quickly enough uh, in providing notice. Uh, so I think that that, uh, following the AGs uh, and the opinions that are coming out of them will be important. I also know that this summer, the Attorney General's received HIPAA training um, from the uh, D Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, so I expect, again, uh, to keep an eye on the AGs and their enforcement actions. I also think that in the coming years, uh, it'll be important uh, to realize that we may be shifting back to a focus more on deceptive trade practices claims. 
if you have been involved in this area, you know that prior to 05, uh, the FTC was bringing actions based on privacy policies and misstatements uh, or inconsistencies between conduct and what was said, said in privacy uh, policy statements. The, the focus then shifted to uh, unfair trade practices, um, so not really relying on anything in writing that the company had said, but looking generally at the practices and the FTC saying that that was unfair. I think that there will be a shift back to uh, deceptive cases. I think the Google uh, settlement, even though it's on privacy, uh, media, and tracking, uh, with the uh, advent of the Massachusetts requirements that written policies be put in place, with the HIPAA high-tech requirements that written policies be put in place, uh, I think we'll see an increase in enforcement uh, around in, you know, inconsistencies between what a company has put on paper and what they've actually done in practice. Final question for you. For organizations that are, that are concerned about breach preparedness, as they all should be, what's your advice for them as they go into 2012? Uh, you know, I think that in the past, uh, because of the Massachusetts requirements, somewhat because of HIPAA, there's been too much of an emphasis placed on having uh, complex and voluminous written policies. Uh, because of my feeling that uh, enforcement is going to fo focus more on deceptive, in other words, inconsistencies between writing and actual practice. Uh, I think that those written policies need to be uh, simplified. They need to be written in a way uh, that conveys compliance, uh, but also uh, doesn't unnecessarily hamper the company uh, in what it really needs to be focusing on, and that's uh, putting in place practices and procedures to safeguard security and hopefully avoid data breach. Uh, so in 2012, you know, my suggestion is to spend more on resources uh, to implement and audit uh, to make sure that, in fact, the practices that we've talked about and put on paper are actually put in place uh, to simplify uh, privacy policies. Uh, you know, a 20-page privacy policy on an Internet site uh, really isn't helpful or useful. Uh, figuring out ways to maybe color code those, uh, simplify them so that the consumers actually understand uh, what's happening with their data and how it's being used, uh, that the uh, language around uh, data security process and procedures uh, is vetted so that it is not inconsistent with what is actually practical and possible. Uh, and then I think finally uh, in 2012, we should always remember that the biggest threat to security is still human beings, employees, uh, and not just employees uh, in terms of uh, intentional misconduct, uh, but also negligence. Uh, employees uh, looking to make their jobs easier, more efficient, uh, taking shortcuts, maybe being helpful to third parties, all of those uh, are the biggest threat to security. Uh, and so companies ought to pay particular attention to uh, training and spending time with those employees, implementing maybe technical features that can audit uh, and prevent employees uh, from taking shortcuts. All security measures around uh, employees, humans, uh, factors, uh, so that overall, hopefully we can avoid uh, breaches or if a breach occurs, we have a good set of documents, uh, a good story to tell uh, the judges and the regulatory agencies about the due diligence and hard work that the company uh, put in place uh, to avoid the breach. Ron, well said. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Uh, happy to uh, participate, and I appreciate being asked. But talking about data breaches and litigation, I've been talking with Ronald Rather, his partner at Faruqi Ireland and Cox, LLP.
for Information Security Media Group. I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.